it looks like we piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business, strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The Hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever need them. This is not your typical mastermind. The Hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, I want to—we're uh, going to cover something that uh, a lot of times people tell you to stay away, away from, which is called comparison. Um, but I've thought in my whole entire life that I have the coolest job in the entire world. I've thought in my whole my whole being that. I have, got, I have had the amazing opportunity to only do what I love, and I've done what I've loved in the professional realm for almost over 30 years. And I keep telling people all the time, I got the greatest job in the world, I got the greatest job in the world. But I finally met my match today. <laughs> I, I reached out to this man, and we were just talking before we got on the, uh, before we started recording, and I reached out to him on Instagram. I saw his name, and, and I reached out to him, and I said, hey, man, I'd love to be able to have you on the show. Not because of what he does, but because of the man that he is. Because I checked out a couple of things that he was doing, talking about his family, talking about his heart, where he was at. And I swear to you, within five minutes, this dude hit me back. And it's incredible because to be flying at the level that he's flying at um, and to do the things that he does and to take the time within five minutes to be able to respond simply, I mean, to him, it's a, it's, you know, I'm responding to a message, but to other people, it's like, wow, you just made my entire month. You made my, my last six months. Um, this man is an ESPN anchor and reporter, uh, on sports center, uh, traveled around. He travels around the world. He's done six Super Bowls, two world series, two NBA finals and countless UFC, uh, which we got some UFC, uh, right up top too and we're going to talk about that um, but this man has the job that every guy in the entire world would love to have which is being on sports center and being an anchor for that um, but also too i think that he has the heart that all of us should desire to have because he loves his family he loves god and he is just an incredible human being inside and out so please welcome mr phil murphy to the show Kelly, that's a heck of an introduction, brother. Thank you for having me on. And I, I want to say you mentioned how quickly I got back to you. 
uh, to, to join you on this podcast. It's because I'm a fan of, of your mission and, and your passion and your purpose. Um, and so, you know, I, I was saying, I followed, followed you on IG and I got the message like, yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, called up, got my permissions, like, you know, because, you know, with what I do, we got to get all those things checked. And I was like, hey, I really want to do this one. So can you guys say yes? And they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. Go have a blast. So uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you for the kind words. I'm looking forward to just talking about whatever you want to cover today. Let's ha- let's have a fun conversation, bro. It's good to catch up. Hey, Phil. So let's talk about this. Like we got security clearance. This is the first time. Now we we are we are officially international on the podcast, and we we have been uh, very very fortunate for all you listeners out there um, that you have put us in the top one percent globally of all podcasts. But we have never never Phil on the show had to get clearance before <laughs> we had somebody come on. So what kind of clearance do they ask you? Like what what are the, some of the things that they say? You know, it, obviously it's got to be on brand. But what are some of the things that you have to go through and you, that you have to see to be able to be here? Hey, man, it's, it, for me, I don't know what goes on beyond the curtain, but I, I have a PR contact, and he'll put me in touch with you know, radio programs and things. We have, it's, it's, it's a business, so there are certain uh, partners and things like that and, and competitors in the business, and you know, they don't want me going and you know, working for doing something for like another sports agency or, or another sports company. So anytime there's any media request, I have a guy, send him a text. Uh, my guy's actually based in Australia, so I, I, hit, I, I have to make sure the timing works. I'm not texting him in the middle of the night and waking up he and his wife or anything. But, yeah, I sent him a quick text, and I said, hey, here's the link to Kelly's page. Here's the link to the podcast. He asked me to be on it. I really want to be on it. Is that cool? And he's like, oh, dude, absolutely go ahead. So that was it. I, did, I don't want to disappoint you. You know, it's not like we had, like, the Secret Service involved or anything. But uh, hey, I, hey, you said I got back to you in five minutes. It would have been three minutes if I didn't have to do that. <laughs> hey, Phil, in my head, though, I make up all the rules in my head, and I play my own game. So in my head, you had to go through the president, the Secret Service, yeah. the FBI, the CIA, and now Phil is here because of all that clearance, everybody out there listening. So uh, let, let's jump right in, man. Like, you, you have the greatest— uh, well, I, I could say I think you have the second greatest job in the world, uh, but, uh, you know, most people would argue that you have the greatest job in the world. Was was ESPN the target, like, when you were first starting off? I know you have an accounting background, and that leads right into being a, a, an anchor, right? So it, it doesn't always go the way that you think it's going to go, but was ESPN on the radar? Was that a target when you first started off? Well, it, it was because when I was a kid and a huge sports fan, my dad was in the military. I'm actually wearing an Air Force shirt now that I realize it. Um, I, I moved all over the place as a kid. Kelly, I went to 12 schools between kindergarten and my senior year, three different high schools. I went to high school in Germany and Pennsylvania and Northern Virginia. So there were a lot of times when I would move somewhere and before soccer or basketball or whatever sport I was playing started up, a lot of time at home watching sports on my TV and, and, you know, just hanging out with my little sister who wasn't really into sports. So I would, I would watch those, those channels and see, okay, sports centers on. And I became a fan of the anchors. And again, I played sports, but I was self-aware enough that I knew that I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. I was like, all right, if I'm the, if I'm the third best person on my little club team and there are eight teams in the league and however many leagues, like I'm not making it. So very early on, I knew I kind of wanted to work in sports. I didn't necessarily know if I wanted to be a broadcaster. I was pretty shy growing up, but I wanted to work in sports. And every time I would meet with a guidance counselor at one of these new high schools, they would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I would say, I want to work in sports. And they would look at me like I was a little kid saying I wanted to be an astronaut or the president of the United States. Like, well, that's, that's nice, but what are you good at? And I was good at math. So they, they said, okay, well, let's 
work you toward a business degree. Hence the accounting degree that I have that I don't even do my own taxes anymore. So I'm sorry, mom and dad, for helping me pay for school. Uh, that money, I don't even know where my diploma's at. But while I was in college, uh, actually very early in my freshman year, I came across a local, in the Northern Virginia area, this local website that was covering sports. And that's when I knew I wanted to work in this industry. I'm like, you guys are going to pay me to hold the camera and be on the sidelines and take photos? I mean, we didn't even know if we could, if our website could host video. This is like 2005. So that was, that was when the, everything started to come together, that I knew I wanted to be in sports journalism. I went under the wings of a terrific journalist, a woman named Angela Watts, who covered the um, Washington football and, and uh, some of the teams in and around the D.C. area for the Washington Post for some time. Uh, she covered Virginia Tech football for some time. So she taught me how to write, taught me how to be a journalist. And then that's when the path started that got me here. And, and you're right. To me, it is the best job in the world. It doesn't feel like work. I work a lot of hours, a lot of time. If it didn't mean being away from my wife and my, my daughter, then... I'd probably work more. I have friends who are like, oh my gosh, you're always doing something. It's because I'm, I really, really enjoy it. Like if, I, if you told me where would you want to be last night, it would be standing at the 20-yard line in Philadelphia watching Washington upset Philly. I just happened to get paid to do it. So that was really, really cool. So that, that for me is what, what drives me that, you know, it's something that I enjoy doing, something I think I'm pretty good at, and that's something people have fun consuming. Well, I think it's cool, Phil, because the things that like the things that we were talking about before we got on the podcast too. When I called you, because I called you to tell you, hey man, I'm gonna probably be a couple minutes late. I apologize about this, but I gotta run and get my daughter some money because she needs some ice cream today. They got an ice cream social, and Phil was like, no problem, good. And then you said something just kind of in passing. You were like, yeah, I'm like ten minutes away from the house, man. I just, uh, I'm just getting back from Monday Night Football last night because I just covered it. And I was like, in my head, the brakes went on. Er, just stop right there. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, 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 that experience down on the field, man. I mean, as a kid, you're watching it on TV. Now you're there. Are you pinching yourself or do you get used to this stuff? Uh, no, I mean, you still have those moments every game, especially in those moments when pre-game and post-game where you kind of you do, you do kind of realize like this is special um it's something that you know not everybody gets to do so for me being on the sideline national anthem flyover fireworks and you know and again you'll see celebrities like miles teller from top gun was there and he was in awe and i'm like man that guy I, he's famous he's, he's proper famous so see him being like you know in awe at the game yeah, I mean, it's still pinch yourself moments, especially when it's those big events um, and Super Bowls and, and NBA Finals and things that you know the world is watching. Those are the ones where it's really like, wow, my goodness, this is really cool that, that I get to do what I get to do. And then, yeah, in the middle of the third quarter when the Eagles are struggling to keep their offense on the field and, oh, my gosh, are they going to lose their first game? Then it, you kind of get lost in it, and it's a football game. Um, but it's, it's cool for me. That job in particular is really cool because as somebody who was in the military, my, my dad was in the military, I was a military kid, moving around, especially living in Europe, you know, and, and having a little bit of a language barrier and playing on a German soccer team, um, you, you can see how sports can be a unifying thing. And I was there not for the U.S. team last night. I was there for the Australia team. We do uh, extensive coverage for uh, – I host Sports Center for Australia. I do Monday Night Football for Australia. ESPN airs the Super Bowl in Australia. So when in when Sydney or Melbourne or Cairns or Brisbane or any of these cities they turn on the TV on for them Monday morning to watch the Super Bowl, they're not seeing NBC or Fox or CBS. They're seeing ESPN with Monday Night Football branding. 
Super Bowl 56, 55, 54, whatever it might be. And um, so that's the audience we serve. So I come in, and Lisa Salters does her bit, and then I do mine first and third quarters. And it is, it's, it's amazing how small it makes the world. And I have, you know, friends I've developed deep friendships with who are coworkers and colleagues overseas, but then guys who also are just fans of the product because, oh my gosh, I love the NFL and you guys make it accessible. And it's this really cool unifying thing that, I mean, I, that's, that's what sport has been for me for my entire life. So let's talk about the, uh, the Air Force side, because I said that we had more in common than you thought. My dad was in the military, too, and we grew up all over the place. So uh, I was born in England, lived in Taiwan, Idaho, Utah, Florida, California, uh, Memphis, California, Las Vegas, back to California now. So I see that you can connect, and, and literally, whether it be through text, and I, I could say this because I've experienced it, whether it be through text on Instagram, it'd be a quick phone call the first time that you and I ever hear each other's voice, or the first time that we jump on. I feel like you've been my family for a long time. How much of that, how much of that is because you constantly had to be in a different place and constantly had to be the new kid? Oh, 1,000%. That, that's a skill that I didn't even realize I was developing. You don't realize how malleable you, you have to become when you are constantly in a new school and in a new environment. And even the places I lived for two years, it was often like third to fourth grade when everybody was going from elementary school to middle school. And yeah, sometimes new countries, new places. So you're always meeting new people and plugging in and I don't know. It's not something I'm necessarily intentional about. It's just you kind of develop like, hey, be excited to talk to new people, be excited to meet new people, be excited to connect and find commonalities with new people. So, yeah, I see your name pop on my phone like, hey, Kelly, what's up, man? What's going on? And so that's just, I don't know, that, that's the energy I try and bring to those situations. But it is a direct byproduct of being a, a, a child of the military moving all around. And I never realized that in the moment. And in fact, in the moment, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, this stinks because I would move somewhere knowing I would only be there for nine or 10 months. And especially as I got deeper into high school, that was hard. I'd see friends who, you know, they're going homecoming and they have photos of them from back in third and fourth grade. I don't have that. My experience is different. But um, I think just in God's providence, like he knew he was wiring me a certain way to, for a certain purpose. And now in the industry I'm in, I do have to connect with people really quickly. You know, if I'm sitting down to conduct an interview with somebody, you do want to find those commonalities. You want to make it a, an organic conversation, but it's also not inauthentic. I'm generally interested in the, in the people I'm talking to and what their background is, what their commonalities are. So when I hear, I saw you do the fist pump when you heard, you know, Air Force brat, I said, I was like, well, I guess he's a military guy, military kid too. That's awesome. So another thing we have in common and it's, you know, just it, it's a very big world, but you can make it a very small place once you find ways to connect with new people. So when you were talking about it earlier, too, you were saying, uh, you know, you're obviously you're you're anchoring and you're reporting, but you were you you hit it quick and you moved on. But you talked about your foundation in writing, uh, your mm -hmm. your foundation in those things, because I think a lot of times people look at the, the product of you. They're like, oh, wow, I want to be an anchor on SportsCenter but they don't realize the foundational parts that you put in play. Can you talk about mm -hmm. some of the foundational things that are not the shiny things that, that people jump up and down about, but that have to be there for you to be able to perform on the level that you do? Absolutely. I mean, take a, a 7 a.m. sports center. I hosted those Sunday and Monday of this week. For those, it, it, we're on air live at 7 a.m. Eastern time. We're in studio at 6.50 or so. I arrive ready to work, not like in sweatpants. I, I arrive in my suit, 
you know, shaven. I'm not really fully shaven today. Um, but I, I arrive ready to go at four because from four to six thirty-five, before I have to go into hair and makeup, I'm writing the show. And it, much of what we say on air is ad-libbed, especially the on-camera parts. They want those to be organic. You having a, just a normal conversation with your co-host. And the highlight reads, those can't be scripted because you want to be a fan. And a lot of those highlights happened at night when I was sleeping, getting ready to wake up at 2.45 to be at work at 4. So a lot of those like, oh, my gosh, buzzer beating three, those types of things. But the in-between, the things where you're telling the story, especially things with heavy topics, you want to be exact and precise with what you're communicating. If somebody's in legal trouble or somebody has an injury, you want to be exact. So that's where crafting and scripting comes into play, and you are – telling a news story and you want to tell it in your own voice, but you want to tell it um, accurately and precisely for the, just to respect everybody involved in, in the topic. So I started out in writing uh, because that was the medium that was available to me. It was going to these games with my camera, taking a photo and writing 500 words on Westfield high school versus Oakton high school in Northern Virginia. And then once video really came into play in the mid 2000s, late 2000, 2008, 2009 part, then yeah, it became, okay, I'm going to put, conduct a video interview or voice over a highlight and put it in there, but still, you want to be able to tell the game story for people, and there's there's power in those words. I mean, part of my protocol when I get a highlight, uh, perfect example, the Lakers played the Nets on Sunday night, uh, Kyrie still suspended, LeBron didn't play. Okay, so it was Anthony Davis going head-to-head against Kevin Durant. When I got that highlight, I read the AP game story just to see, like, what's in there? What, what am I missing? And sure enough, Anthony Davis had this awesome quote about how he watched the Packers game, saw Brett – or not Brett Favre, oh, my gosh. I, I, my head was in 2000 and 2004. He saw uh, Aaron Rodgers complete the slant to Alan Lazard to get them into field goal range, and, and uh, Rodgers flexed. And Davis said, man, I saw Aaron Rodgers flex after the big completion, and it hyped me up. Well, just fortunately – that highlight came not long after we re-showed the Aaron Rodgers play, and I was able to reference it. This is a true story. Anthony Davis said he was inspired by Aaron Rodgers' clutch pass, and to a viewer, I think that really enhances the highlight. It tells them the story in a way that, that nobody would have considered that those two had anything going on together. They're thinking just two, best, two of the better basketball players on the planet going back and forth. I don't know. I really appreciate people who can write well, and so I just try and be, be one of them. And especially when I'm speaking my written words, I think it makes me better at my craft. So how is it, because a lot of times people will take and they'll systemize things. And when they systemize it so much, it becomes boring. But mm -hmm. you you have been one of the best craftsmen at this. I've been, I've been watching, I've been studying, and even interacting with you today. Obviously, there's methods to you, but you seem mm -hmm. to stay so present, man, it's scary. How... What, what's an exercise? How can we all, I mean, uh, for us mere mortals out there with second, <laughs> second best jobs in the world, um, you're, you're winning the contest, by the way. Um, <laughs> how, how can you stay so incredibly present and be able to, because when, when I see you reporting, and I even see you today, like I could tell that you're present where you're at. How do you do that? Man, I... I don't have an answer for you. That's direct. It's, it's taken some training. Um, you know, whether it's, I don't know, in, in, within, within the micro environment of a, of a show, just knowing what your job is, what your task at hand is, knowing that, 
okay, I need to communicate this difficult story about Cristiano Ronaldo. I need to communicate X, Y, or Z and, and really being able to compartmentalize in, in that sense. Um, but also here, you know, I'm, I'm able to, you know, do not disturb on my phone. I, you know, told my wife, Hey, I'm going, I'll be down in the basement, you know, in my studio for a little bit and just trying to communicate with her. Uh, it's taking some organization there. Kelly, I don't really have like a silver bullet, man. It's a, it's, I'm trying to, I just try and figure it out and know it. You know, I, a lot of it was trial and a lot of error that I wasn't present in those, in those situations in the past. And, uh, it was to my personal and professional detriment, never, never like tragically, but I was like, man, I want to be better at this. So it's been something I've tried to do. I, I've tried to focus on, um, really for the last few years and yeah, try and compartmentalize as, as best I can, knowing, knowing the task at hand and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, today has enough concerns of its own type deal. How have you been able to, you, you seem to see the, the brighter side of things. And there was a story uh, where, you know, you had an opportunity with Johnny Manziel that you weren't supposed to take, but you took it. And <clears> when you took it, it kind of shifted some things. And, and I, I related it in, in hearing this story, I related it to the military background. It's like, you know, as a military background, you just, you kind of have to move, you kind of have to deal with your stuff and you make the best of it. Um, but what are some of the components out there uh, f of it for a person who maybe doesn't have a, a, a military background and for you to make the lemonade that you are with the lemons that a lot of times the world gives you? I mean, a lot of it was listening to the advice I would give other people, especially people I, I really care for in similar circumstances. Um, I mean, I, you know, situations if my wife is feeling some anxious about something that, that is worthy of anxiety, and, you know, I try and encourage her and look at the bright side, look at those things, and I just kind of hear this, like, conviction in my own head, like, hey, man, you should feel that way about your own concerns and own anxieties. And, um, I mean, a lot of it, too, is like, you know, my it's more than my 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 dad's military background. It's my my theological convictions that there is a, a sovereign God out there who works all things together for the good of those who love him. So, um, you know, for me, having peace in that, that whatever whatever trials I may face, that he him being all powerful, truly omnipotent means that all things can be worked out for that good. And if I really, truly believe that then there isn't reason for to be caught up in pessimism. A lot of times optimism and pessimism is a choice. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't cry at bad situations. I mean, there's, there's some, I mean, it's, it's a heavy world out there. There's some, some tragic things that are going to happen to all of us. Um, but having that quiet confidence that he's in control really helps me then reflect that. And in the quiet times of my night at the night, when I feel my mind going and drifting towards certain anxieties, I can, timeout, press pause, you know, if it's basketball, call a 20-second timeout, reset. What do I know to be true about my circumstances, the world around me, and, and the bigger picture of what might be going on? Okay, well, then how should I feel here? And it's just constantly preaching that message to myself um, that after a while it becomes almost reflexive, I would say that, but I mean, I, when I was driving back from Philly a couple hours ago, I found myself being anxious about the situation. And then a lot of it just comes, okay, what do you know? What do you know to be true? Uh, and, and going back to that. So, yeah, it was just kind of uh, uh, an amalgamation of those things that has helped me, I think. I mean, I appreciate you saying that. If, if, if you're observing that, I guess that's a good thing. So I appreciate the encouragement there. But, yeah, try and, um, try and know, take what I know to be true and then apply it to my uh, individual circumstance or anxiety, whatever it might be. 
So, Phil, when's the last time that you got mad at God and yelled at him then? Because I, I know a lot of times we'll sit and we'll, we'll have the relationship, right? We'll know he's omnipotent. We'll understand his presence. We'll understand that he's working all things for the good of those who love him. But mm-hmm. then we're human and we get mad. When's the last time that you were like, look, dude, like, come on, man. I mean, can you help a brother out? Yeah, I mean, shoot, it's <laughs> last week. I don't know, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's because anytime, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I want to, I want to keep things going. Like, things are going great for me professionally. I want a little more. Things are going great for me relationally. I want a little more. Um, you know, with my daughter now too. Like, it's I, she, I'm, I'm providing for her. I need, I, I want her to grow and learn and do these types of things. So if we're like struggling to get her into a good school here like oh my gosh what should we be doing if um you know you know i i live in the world of two and three year contracts like is are, are we gonna be here long term should we should we look to deepen our roots here or should we you know be in a position where maybe we're a little bit more financially and socially nimble i don't know and so like those are types of things where i'm just like man like can you just give me a, can you just give me the next step like what can, uh, my wife, what my wife and I have been praying for, honestly, when it's been probably about like uh, five or six days, we've been praying for uh, the word is alignment. We just want things to, to, to God to align them. If it's if it means we we're going to be relocating and my um, or staying or whatever that looks like, do we just want everything to align? So, all right, what what are our, our social networks? If they're going to get deeper, then we want to stay. And if it's going to, you know, my daughter's going to get to this great school, then we want to stay. And if it's that's if that's not the case then, yeah, we're okay with things, you know, our grip on this geographic area and this situation may be loosening a little bit. So I would say those are, those are the things now. It's just like just praying for alignment and then praying, trying to be, do that with confidence. Uh, that's that's probably where we're at right now. I mean, I wouldn't say with that situation, it's gone so far as like, oh, what are you doing? It's more like, ah, oh, what should I do um, that I'm trying to figure out? But yeah, I mean, it's, what what I found with prayer though um, is that God already knows, and it's it just it just helps us to be honest with Him because it's not, you know, it's He's not a pinata and we're not a stick. It's like it's not like we just you know ask what we want until goodies come out. It's a two way street, and you, you lay things before Him, and then you you listen for conviction um, in the in that like meditative space. So, you know, a lot of times in my prayer life, it's like oh, I kind of. It, it kind of bounces back. Um, so that's more what I'm looking for now is like, okay, so now what? And uh, I mean, he's he's sanctifying me in some way in this season. I'll let you know on the other side, brother. <laughs> so Phil, do you, do you ever use God for the wrong reason? And I'll tell you why. The other day I was watching my Titans play against your Broncos. And I was I was praying to my sweet baby Jesus who wears a Titans jersey, I believe. And I believe that all of people in heaven have a Titans jersey, too. And they have Oilers <laughs> stuff. And they're, they're on a different level of heaven, actually. That's just a different level of heaven is when, when you're a Titans fan. But I swear to you, all my life, I was sitting. And my, actually, was it? Yeah. It, I was sitting on the couch. And I started praying, like, straight prayers, like real prayers, like meditative prayers. Like, just give me this kick. Just give me this reception. Just make this third down. You know, Do you you do know that where that film? paid off? T- they ran the flea flicker, and the Broncos DBs ran into each other, and Westbrook Bikina had the 60-whatever-yard touchdown that ended up being the deciding play. So, Do you, you know, think that that was because of my prayers? Knock. Do you think that was my prayers, Phil? 
I mean, it, it could well have been. Uh, but in all seriousness, yeah, I find myself praying for ridiculous things all the time. I'm, I'm a Man City soccer fan, and I'm just like, oh, please don't let them lose this game. And I'm like, I know I'm not saying it to myself. Like, man, like, there are bigger things out there. Like, yeah, God's fully sovereign, but, like, yeah, all and it's usually, Kelly, it's usually around sports. It's usually around, like, golly, can my, can my boys just get one? Because my Broncos have been a painful disappointment <laughs> this year. I didn't expect them to, you know, be, be playing in the Super Bowl, but they are – they're a tough watch, and uh, they've kept me up past bedtime far more often than I should have let them. So, um, so yeah, all the time. And you know what? Like, I, honestly, I think that's good. We're 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 called to be, you know, ask, seek, knock, pursue, like we would, like we're young children. And like, I think we get into a dangerous spot, and we're like, ah, that's not important enough for God. Now that said, like, yeah, in in the grand, I I don't know if in His grand overarching plan. Titans Broncos is 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 that big of a blip on the radar, but just us having that like reflexive reliance, it's not the worst thing in the world. And it's funny you it, and I, I see it too. Up, so I'm on like this little web app in this um, in our conversation, and literally the score. I have a bunch of tabs open here, and and, and this podcast is, is the most recent. The one that's right over your head is te- Titans seventeen Broncos. And it doesn't say the number, but I know what the number is. So that's that's what is over. I'll send you a, a picture of it because I'm not lying. So it's, it's just like taunting me. <laughs> so that that Johnny Manziel story, right? And I want you to I want you to talk about talk about that part. But the reason why I talk about the Johnny Manziel story with you is because it was one thing that maybe didn't seem like that large of a, a step out that then turned into something that then turned into something that then turned into something. And, and I find that that's the way that God uh, has a tendency to work it, it, because he almost doesn't let us find his trail. Cause if we found his trail, we would try and sell people on the trail as opposed to finding him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can you can you talk to can you tell us about the Johnny Manziel situation when you when you did the interview with him when you just snatched him and then mm-hmm. talk about some other things that maybe you didn't realize at the time that you were doing that led to you having quite possibly the second best job in the world. Yeah, I mean, so this was I, I was, it's funny. I was actually telling the story the other day, um, and I'm trying to remember exactly what year it was. I covered this event a few times called the Elite Eleven which was, uh, still goes on, but at the time they held it at Nike headquarters in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. And it was all the best high school quarterbacks who were going to play in college. And I mean, a lot of the guys who are in the NFL now, um, I met and covered at that event. And uh, Johnny was one of the counselors there as he was, I, I believe he had just won the Heisman Trophy or he was, it was the year before he won the Heisman Trophy. He was a big deal. Uh, but he had gotten in some hot water at Texas A&M and nobody could get him. And in fact, they, they even told us at the camp, like, hey, you can talk to any of the counselors except Johnny. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm getting this great, great video of all the players. Um, at the time, my job was in college football recruiting, mostly behind the scenes. I was like 95% producer, 5% reporter. But I was the only one they sent to this event. So I said, yeah, if you want to talk to the, the short guy out of Texas, Kyler Murray, feel free. So I get, I'm getting all these videos of all these players and, uh, you know, doing some interviews and things, talking to some coaches. And then we all go back to the hotel separately. They had like buses and shuttles and things. I drove separately. But I get there and everybody's outside. And Oregon I love because it's dry, it's beautiful, it's warm in July. Except this day it was like record heat and our hotel had a power outage. So not only was the AC kicked off, but like elevators weren't working. 
So everybody, after like a full day of camp, is just dehydrated and sweaty and smelly and just wanting to go in. Everybody's miserable. But I'm outside and uh, just waiting to go in, just talking to some of the guys. And Johnny's not too far away from me. So I said, all right, I'm just going to you know, shoot my shot and see if he, if he wants to talk about his situation, give his side of the story. And me being out there all day and talking to the kids, I think, and that helped. He realized it wasn't like malicious. And I said, hey, Johnny, I'm Phil with ESPN. Um, would love to talk to you about the camp a little bit and see if, you know, it's up to you, you know, see if you want to talk about what's going on, you know, off the field and all that. And he kind of rolled his eyes like, yeah, whatever. And I think for him, he was looking at it like, okay, I, I know I have to talk about this eventually. Um, and he, he thought that was, you know, a, a fair platform to do it. But in his generosity, he and I talked for like eight minutes and that interview got picked up everywhere because he was the get. And I had, you know, producers back at ESPN, like digging up my phone number and be like, hey, are you the guy that's in Oregon right now that got the Johnny Manziel interview? And I was like, yeah, how do you want me to send it to you? And like, and we're trying to figure out the mechanics of it and it ran everywhere. And, you know, the, a lot of people at ESPN, that was the first time they saw me do any work. And I think what made that interview work was, uh, I got this advice. I was in a, it wasn't like I talked to him personally. I have since, but I was, they had this uh, interview course at ESPN that Tom Rinaldi, the terrific journalist, used to be at ESPN, he's now at Fox, that he taught. And he was the first person to interview Tiger Woods after the, you know, uh, his infidelity situation and all that, and uh, came back to golf. And Rinaldi said that his wife gave him the advice that when you talk to Tiger, he's not Tiger, he's also not the guy who had, you know, a lot of personal improprieties. He's a human being, and you talk to him eye to eye. And, he, and Rinaldi had just told us that. So I said with Johnny, like, he's not, you know, this untouchable figure that I'm not worthy to be in his presence, but he's also not this, you know, total jerk who I need to look down on. He's a guy. So I, I, it, my questions were open, neutral, and lean. And I think he noticed that, and they were fair. And he's, he's, he's a very adept on a microphone, too. That helped a lot. So, like, I think those two things, um, being present, showing – like what I didn't realize was when I was just doing my job and doing it well and trying to be nice to people and that Johnny picked up on that and he saw like, okay, this guy's not a, not a, not a jerk. He's not going to be unfair to me. So I, you know, conducting myself well when I didn't know I was being watched paid off. Um, and then also, you know, seeing him as an equal and seeing somebody worthy of di dignity and respect um, and also me being worthy of dignity and respect that I can be in his presence and, and conduct this interview it worked really well. Uh, and then we got a terrific story out of it. And yeah, uh, as a result, um, some, some people over, over at ESPNU got wind of it. They knew I was at the recruiting event and it was literally two months later, they called me and said, Hey, do you want a dedicated segment on our Thursday recruiting nation show where you're at a desk in ESPN and you do a little recruiting roundup? That was my first real regular anything that I had to do above and beyond my normal job hours. And Anytime I'd go to the ESPN gym, I knew it would be on. I'd flick it on because I would see it as it was being made, but I wanted to see how it looked in the show and kind of get a different vantage point. And um, one of the days I was doing that, the guy who's now my boss also saw it. He couldn't hear it because it was just on the TV at the gym, but he said like he liked my presence in there, and then that ultimately led, ultimately led to me getting the audition to do the job I'm doing now. So like the dominoes of all those falling were, were really cool, how all that how all that played out, uh, both in the immediacy of like, oh my gosh, we got the gut, we got the get, to 
me, you know, it playing a significant role in me getting the, the opportunity of a lifetime. What do you see now as some of the principles and things that your parents imparted, whether it was through their speech, which I could tell, I told a mom this the other day. She was like, I've been telling my son all the right things to do. And then I stopped her and I said, well, honest to God, like think about the last time that you took a, a lesson from something that your parents told you as opposed to what you saw them do. And she sat in it for a second and she was like, you know, and I was telling her, I said, honestly, like most of the kids are going to pick up on what you do. It's not going to pick up on you sitting them down and saying, you need to act like this or you need to do this. So what were some of those principles? Because I mean, Phil, you're, you're an absolutely phenomenal human being. Like it's, it's, it's incredible. Like even through the virtual part to be able to be in your presence and to be around you, it's amazing. I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. Um, so (laughs) I want to let you know that, but what are some of those things, right? Because there's parents out there listening and they're like, damn, I got like my son to grow up, be like Phil, like not be Phil, but you know, be Phil like, you know what I mean? So what were some of the things that you noticed your parents do that maybe you didn't realize it at the time, but now you're realizing, wow, okay, that was something that, that really helped me in my life. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Um, it, cause it's something that as a kid you take for granted, you, cause I didn't know any other reality, especially when I moved from place to place to place. It's not like I had my neighbor's parents to model or whatever, you know, I, my neighbors changed every year. So, um, my dad worked, my mom stayed at home. Um, and you know, so I had spent most of my time around my mom and my dad traveled a lot for work, but as I became to those more, even more impressionable ages of 12, 13, 14, when you know everything and you start to question what your parents are doing and you know, that's when you're the smartest in the world. And then, then, then you get humbled pretty quickly thereafter. Um, but I, I started to pick up on how, you know, the military is a lot of rank and file and my dad was very, very successful in the military. Um, and seeing how some of his subordinates um, spoke of him and, and treated him and how he how he interacted with them. I remember that was one of the first things where I was like, oh, my gosh, he's, he's good at this. I had no idea. I just knew we moved a lot. And I knew that he worked in – he was a meteorologist uh, predominantly, and then he did some work in Intel. I kind of knew his bio, but I didn't know um, his day-to-day. And – in Germany, um, how it worked was I would take uh, – they had these, like – they didn't want to put it on, like, school buses for security for whatever. But they had these tour buses that would come through a random German village at, like, 5.45 in the morning. And, like, a bunch of kids, you know, American kids at a bus stop. Like, everybody knew who we were. But we'd go, and the, the villages were kind of all over the place. It would take forever to get to school. Um, we'd go to school. But then after, I wouldn't take the bus home because all my friends lived on the military base. So I would hang out with them. We hung out at this bowling alley in this town called Simbach, Germany, hours and hours on end. But I would get to my dad's work about like six or seven o'clock and I'd go home with him. So I spent a lot of time sitting outside of his office and hearing him interact with, you know, he was an officer and, and, and hearing him interact with a lot of the enlisted crew and like, you know, these, these brand new airmen coming in. And it was just like, I'm like, man, everybody likes my dad. And I always knew him as like, hi, he's, he's kind of strict. He's kind of a, you know, he's kind of a pain in the butt and all that. But then I was like, man, all these, all these adults like him and (laughs) seeing how like, yeah, he just treat, he just treated everybody with respect and he worked his butt off. He worked hard. He put in extra hours. And I think now he might say like, oh, I wish I would have spent more time at home. Um, and, but you know, praise God, he's still, he's, he's, he's 62. He's still healthy. And like, I see him pouring into my daughter in a way that's like really, really cool. My daughter loves him. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's just like, I saw that, I don't know, he, he just treated everybody so well, but also like he, he worked really hard to be worthy of their respect. He went to bat for people. He made sure people were treated fairly. Um, you know, anytime he felt like there was some, something that was, that was done wrong or somebody on his team was being treated unfairly, he'd stick his neck out for people. And, um, I try and I try and model that as best as I can in a very different workplace. But I know being the front-facing person at ESPN, you know, there are people who know my name whose name I don't know because I've never met them. They just see it, you know, literally when I come on screen, there's a Phil Murphy. So it's kind of not fair. But I try to be very intentional about knowing people's names and situations. Are they married? Do they have kids? What's going on with their lives? And, um, yeah, just trying to, trying to find ways to care about those people who, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't expect for me to, to give to you know what's about like what's going on in their personal lives. But I do because I don't know. I just, it seems like that people appreciate that. And I just want, I want people who are working with me and working for me to feel appreciated. So that's when I was like, okay, well now I, now I see why my dad was able to be so great at what he did because his aptitude for one, but also his attitude toward those around him um, was probably far more important. So what do you think was the, the disadvantages? Uh, when I say this, too, it's not to, to go to the negative part of it, but I found later on in life, and I didn't realize this until my, probably my 30s, that I had never lived in the same residence for over two years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I, and I realized that, you know, there was, I, I, I remember at that time I realized that I didn't put can, uh, pictures on the wall. Um, people would come over to my house and I had lived in the house for, you know, four or five years. And they're like, oh, wow, did you just move in? I'm like, no, why? They say, because you don't put anything up. Like, and in my head, mechanically and automatically, when it started to hit that year and a half mark, I, I, in, you know, subconsciously, I realized this in my 30s that it was time to go. Mm-hmm. And what I found was, is I transferred that into relationships, too. And so... What impact, Phil, did did the did the moving around and stuff like that have on your relationships specifically? That's the one. That is the one, and it's not it's not malicious. It's not intentional. Um, I'm I'm I was so accustomed to, and again, I was doing all this moving pre social media, so it's not like I was able to remain in contact with my best friend down the street, and then I up and move from Montgomery, Alabama, to Northern Virginia was one of the moves, or. Fallon, Illinois, to Montgomery, Alabama, or wherever I went, um, you just kind of, that, that chapter of your life closes. And now I've found that I've been up here in Connecticut for 13 years, and there are certain people who were on the same team, and we're seeing each other every day, and it's, we're super close, and our families get to know each other, and then they may take another job, even within the company. I don't see them for a few months. And I really have to train myself to that for that not to be like out of sight, out of mind. Um, And it's because I'm just so used to like, okay, this is my sphere of people. And you kind of move on to the next one. That's how I've lived. That's how I lived for the first 18 years of my life. And now you develop these relationships and people are like, oh my gosh, this guy really cares about me. I, I want to maintain that. But it's just, you become so then, okay, well, this is my crew now. And I don't know, I found that like, you know, uh, so people who, who so people just don't some people don't understand it, and I'm not saying they should necessarily understand it, but like I would ask them if any of them are watching, like please be patient with me because I'm trying. It's just I've been trained for so long. Like you said, the pictures on the wall thing is funny because I never hung a picture on the wall. Um, <laughs> in my life, but again, I have my wife for the for, she does this as a core side, thankfully. Um, but yeah, relationally, you you kind of shift and. 
um, not proactively calling a friend. Um, if they call you or they text you like, Oh my gosh, it's so great to catch up. But yeah, it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's, that's, I don't have my best friend since I was seven or eight years old. That's just not my story. So I really need to train myself that for the three to five years, I'm, I'm, somebody's in my sphere of influence. When I move on from that, to still be proactive about letting them know, like, hey, man, I still love you. I still care about you. I still want to know what's going on. I, like, I almost need to, like, and I might do this. I might, like, like literally just have a list on my fridge or something of, like, 10 people who I need to call at least once a month and just check in and see how, see how things are going with them. No, you only can have nine people because there's ten. The guy that you talk to right now is going to be your best right, friend. Right, right. Kelly's, right. So, Kelly's going to be on the list. There we go. That'll be so. Nine more of you out there that are listening can <laughs> can can check out Phil, and you guys can call him. But the first spot is already taken. Uh, another similarity. This is crazy, Phil. Right. So we have the Air Force. We have the moving around stuff. We have the greatest jobs in the world in in uh, common. We have the fact that both of us think that our team is going to win, and we've had a lot of therapy for it. Right. Um, although you have more championships than I do because you had, um, but another thing is we both had a very, very short marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. our first marriage, and I, I I say that it was the only time I was a celebrity because I I was married for a year and two months. Only celebrities are (laughs) only celebrities are married for that long. Talk about the impact that that moving around and that not connecting, did that have impact on your romantic relationships early on too? Uh, see, I don't think, I don't think so there. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, that was where it was almost like it helped me being able to shift and look forward. But I mean, there's a lot of, there was a lot of pain there. You know, that, that story, I got married when I was 24, 25. Um, and you know, I'm like, man, I wasn't, I wasn't perfect by any means, but, um, you know, I did, I, about, 12 or 18 months in, I, I discovered some infidelity on her part and then tried to work. We tried to work through that. And how'd you it just, find, it, Phil, how'd you find out? Did you, did you did, come, did you come home and someone was in your house? No, I, uh, so we were at a party and she was being really weird toward one of the guys. She, she had a, she had a little bit to drink. She was being, she was being really weird toward one of the guys there. Um, and something just didn't sit right. So I checked her phone. And there was a lot there. Um, and that was one of those things that I, I wanted it to be fixed. And so my, my church was, uh, you know, they paid for me to go to counseling and like, all right, what can you do in the situation? And she wasn't really interested in going to counseling, but she said she wanted it fixed. And um, the counselor there was like, hey, I believe that our God will not be mocked. And I, I, I think you're, 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 you're not perfect, but you're getting a raw deal here. So you don't need to be James Bond with the phone. Like, let's let's just pray that if this continues and she's not being upright, that it'll be exposed. And that's basically what happened. Uh, and then it came to a point when, you know, ultimately she made me pull the trigger and like legally end it. So, uh, you know, after a lot of prayer, a lot of counsels, like, yeah, she's not coming back. It was probably like nine months of like trying to resurrect things. And like, what was tough there was like, I was kept thinking like, okay, if I, if I get her this great gift, if I take her on this great vacation, if I do this, I, and it was just, no, man, it's just, it's not, it's not for me to do. Um, and the book of Philippians actually gave me a lot of hope in that season that, uh, Paul's writing from prison to the church at Philippi. And one of the things he says is that these things have happened to me for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, man, Paul's, Paul's a decent guy. And he's, he's getting a real raw deal. He's, he's doing kingdom work. And he's in a really, really rough situation. Um, like, he's a better dude than me. But, like, he's, he's, in, he's in a worse situation. These things have happened to me for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. I was like, all right, I don't know what that means, but like, I'm all ears. And it was in that season, probably that two to two to three years thereafter, um, that I had my most vivid growth in in becoming a Christ follower. Was in that season. I'd been a believer for like six years. That happened, and it was like, man, I was just in the Word. I was memorizing Scripture. I was doing all the all the things, but not because like I felt I needed to, but because like I don't know. It was just this this joy in that pain. Like in in my pain, I was hearing God's voice the loudest. Um, and my wife was very gracious. Now my 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 current wife was very gracious when we started dating, and I had to be honest with her. Like, hey, this is this is hard for me because of what happened. This is tough for me because of what happened. Um, she showed a lot of grace and patience in that season as I got to a spot where I was ready to, um, you know, not, not necessarily get through it and get past it because it was like, yeah, I was, there was, there was a deep betrayal there, but like walk above it and trust that, that again, God can redeem any, any circumstance, no matter how heavy he's a, he's a big God. And so I'm not going to put any limits on him about what he can do in the situation. Um, and that was, again, where I had some conversations. You know, people always joke, like, hey, if you want to share your, your thoughts, your feelings about Christ or, you know, your, any theological conviction, like, you don't want to go around, like, knocking on doors or whatever. But, like, nobody's going to ask you, what is it about, you know, I noticed something in you. I had those conversations. My roommate was like, dude, how are you, how are you doing so well with what just happened? And I was able to say, like, it's the hope I have in Christ. Like, there's no other answer. I don't have another answer for you. I didn't watch some YouTube video. I didn't, you know, nobody, nobody gave me some little bit of wisdom. I just trust that God was in control and he was speaking to me very loudly in that season. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, for, I, I, I mean, maybe I, I said, think about it, I could find some correlation with like the military background, but like, for me, it was just, that was just something that I think God just said like, Hey, this is going to be part of your story. Um, and we, we, I went about it I, and I know I went about it the right way in pursuing my, my, my ex-wife and like, you know, I, I don't have any like massive regrets about our courtship process or anything or anything like that. It was just like something happened shortly after we got married and, you know, so she kind of went off the rails and then I, you know, was kind of left picking up the pieces. But, um, I mean, I, I know something I had to do is I, it took a while to, I had to forgive her and like truly forgive her, um, to free her of that burden, but also free myself of it too. Like, uh, because I knew I, I wasn't going to get like the long, like apology, but I still needed to like free her of that burden for the sake of freeing myself. So, um, I learned a lot about forgiveness in that season too. Phil, how do you forgive? <sighs> Very intentionally. Um, cause it's easy to just say it, but in your heart, like, uh, when I would, I didn't really see her or interact with her much since then. I think we've spoken maybe twice since the divorce was finalized over like some like tax papers or whatever. But so for me, my last image of her is, is what happened. Um, but truly saying like, you know what? I want, I want the best for that person. And like, uh, she doesn't deserve it because X, Y, and Z like, right. But what do I deserve? 
And that's where I think having a gospel foundation is, um, is, was really key for me to like be able to forgive that, you know, God made him who knew no sin, knew no sin. I know a lot of sin. God made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's taking somebody who was blemishless and perfect in Christ, having him become the most odious, rebellious thing we can think of as sin, so that we, me, you and I, can become God's righteousness? Like, golly. So like that picture, what's my situation in the scheme of that? Um, that's how I was able to forgive, by like putting that into context and putting that, and, like, and making the comparison like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I probably should. I probably should model that because it's the, what he's what he was asked and he chose to do for me. Despite me being ill deserving, is so much less than I than I need to do for this person to forgive her, and it's going to benefit me to forgive her. So, like that's where it became this exercise of like, no, really freeing her from that. And it took some time, but I, I'm I'm glad that I got there. How do you know? Because, you know, people will tell you, you know, they'll, they'll tell us. They'll be like, you need to forgive because, you know, I remember my mom used to say that, you know, if you if you drank poison and, and wanted your neighbor to die, that would be the same thing as, mm. you know, as, as unforgiving or uh, being unforgiving. And I'm paraphrasing stuff and uh, here and killing it. But a lot of times people will tell us it, right? How do you know? that you've actually forgiven the person. Cause I've been in places and I'm, I mean, you're, you're a lot better person than me, Phil, but I've been in some really petty places where I'm like, yeah, I've forgiven them. And then I see them and I'm like, I want to run them over with the car. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, but I mean, that was, that was it. That was kind of it because like I would see, you know, you know, I kind of, you know, got her off my social media and all that. But then I get like, Hey, do you want to add this friend? Like, no, I don't. I just <laughs> deleted that friend. Like, I don't want to re add them Facebook. Um, and like having those checks, I think is healthy. But again, like we're not, it's okay that we're not perfectly there. Like I, I thought I forgave her and then these things would stir up in my heart. I was like, oh no, I guess I haven't. I need to work on this some more. And then it didn't take a lot of work. It was just like, man, Lord, I want to forgive her. I want to, I want to move past this. And it was anytime I think I would be. And if I didn't get there, okay, then just readdress it. But I think that was it. Just getting to that heart posture of like the want to want to like, I didn't want to. God, help me want to want to before we even do it. Like, give me the desire to want to do it. And then, okay, now we're there. Now I want to do it. How do I do it? Um, but I think like, you know, the, the, the more grand and big I see God, the, the more healthily small I see myself and the more I see myself reliant on him. And even today, dude, like you and I were talking, I took, I, I, I took a, um, on my map. It said, all right, you can get home this way in three hours and 59 minutes. So you can get home this way in four hours and nine minutes. I was like, well, I knew, I knew the route on the long way. It's a really scenic, really beautiful drive. Um, and Psalm 19 one talks about uh, how the heavens declare his handiwork. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take the prettier drive because that's going to like stir up my heart for worship for 10. It's going to take me 10 extra minutes to get home. Like I'm gonna have to go to a different gas station to get home, but that's fine. Like that little exercise, just give me that like, ha ah, man, this is beautiful. Like that, those like little things I've been able to add to my day have helped me um, just have that heart to like, okay, God's grandeur is, is here. I'm here. And that's freeing, man. That's so much more freeing than trying to make myself bigger and trying to make, make myself capable. So I, I noticed this with, uh, with amazing human beings um, such as yourself, but you have the ability to be able to give yourself grace. 
And this is a place where most people, I mean, people deal out grace all the time. It's like they have an unlimited credit card for grace for everyone else in their life. And then they, they, they come up short or they are in debt or they don't have the credit line to be able to charge debt for themselves or grace for themselves, right? But it seems like in everything that you've talked about today, it's like, you know, yeah, maybe I screwed up on this thing or, you know, this didn't work out, but I gave myself grace. You didn't say those words, but you can hear it. How does a person give themselves grace? Man, for me, I've just been humbled a fair bit. So, like, you know, you stay, you stay humbled. Um, shoot. I think that's part of it, though, is like seeing and understanding, like having this, the scope of God's grandeur and where I stand in the grand scheme of things. Um, and like nobody stands at the edge of the Grand Canyon or the Matterhorn in Switzerland or any of these like great physical features. And they're like, man, do you remember when I could bench 250 in high school? And like, no, you don't. Nobody does that. You see these things and you're like, wow, I'm tiny. I'm small. And so for me, a lot of it's been getting into nature. Um, I got, I've, I've done a couple like pretty significant mountain climbs and I live in an area of the country that I think is very, very beautiful. Um, it's about, it's about not to be, it's winter's coming in Connecticut. Uh, but like through the summer and the fall, it is just stunning here. And like those that are like, my gosh, this is so unnecessary. And like, we're told that like, that's, these are the fringes of his garment. Right. So it's like, Seeing those things um, has helped me stay humble, and that, uh, so, I'm sorry, helped me stay to feel like, okay, well, I'm not the I'm not the center of the universe. Um, so, like, I don't want everyone to be like, oh, I'm humble, but it's like, no, I think I think I'm good at what I do, and I, I think I work hard in these things. It's just he's bigger, he's he's grander. Like the God that I worship and serve is 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 more infinite than I can fathom. So I think that's it more than anything is like not necessarily making myself small, uh, but just making making sure I, I see him as, as um, accurately magnificent as he is. So, Phil, how, how do you translate it into your marriage? Because, I mean, obviously we all want Proverbs 31. This is what my mom told me my whole entire life. Like, Proverbs 31, read it. But she was telling me when I was, like, in fourth grade. And I was like, Mom, this is weird. Like, I ain't trying to—she's like, that's the woman you want. I was like, no, I want the cute girl in the class that sits next to me. That's what I want. And But she kept telling me about a Proverbs 31 woman, and— um, you know, we all want a godly woman, but obviously we have to be a godly man to be able to keep that godly woman. But help us to uh, understand this, because when you bring it into marriage, when you bring a belief system like that into marriage, ultimately we want to be equally yoked, right? Mm -hmm. But also there's women have the tendency to bring the reality out in the situation as opposed to the, the theory of it. Does that make sense? Like, you know, with my wife, I don't know if your wife does this to you, but I'll come off the road and, you know, I have some people take a picture with me or whatever it was, high five, whatever. And, uh, I'll get home and she'll be like, so take out the trash. Like I'm thinking she wants to take a picture with me or she wants to hang out with me. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? But she don't, she wants the trash done and she wants that. So how do you translate? Because the, the, what you're talking about is so incredible. How do you translate it into a marriage, into that real time aspect of, you know, sometimes when, you know, you, you ain't, uh, maybe holding up your end of the bargain as far as being a dad or being a, a husband, which I'm sure that you're a superhero, so you're perfect in it. But hypothetically, yeah. Phil, if that was, how do you do it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, if we did a if we did a tandem interview, uh, there might be some good perspectives <laughs> there. But no, um, I mean, honestly, I married a woman who I, I trust her perspective uh, biblically. I trust her 
as uh, like maternally. I, I think she's incredibly intelligent and um, all those things that like I can really trust that she's not going to let me off easy. But also like I don't want to be let off easy, you know. Um, I prayed for somebody who would sanctify me, and then I was like, "Dang, I did pray for that." Um, I did pray for that. <laughs> so uh, I love Phil. I love how you said sanctify. Can you, for our listeners out there, can you can you elaborate on what you meant? Because when you said it, I know what you're talking about. Because we laughed yeah. at it, and we. But help me to understand what you mean by sanctify by your old lady sanctifying you. Hey man, like I'm gonna have blind spots, areas that I need to clean up a little bit that I'm either gonna ignore, sweep under the rug, and you know, she'll make sure that uh, she checks under the rug. So, um, like, yeah, she makes she makes me like not cut corners, um, and it's it's tough. I mean, I, I think we have what we have, which is really special, is a real like mutual respect um, for what each other brings to the table, um, and like gosh, who she is as a mom and as a woman of God and a friend to her friends. I mean, I remember like there are times when I'm like, man, why does she care so much about so many people? And then I was like, dang, why don't I care more about so many people? Um, those types of things. So it's been, it's been really good to um, have somebody who, you know, I, I love and trust like that to, uh, yeah. Well, like, I, again, it's not, it's not about me feeling small. It's not about her feeling small. Like, we have the, we share the same theological conviction, so it's like we both serve a God who's big. Um, we want our marriage and our friendship to reflect Him, both internally and in how we love each other and treat each other in the home, and then how people see us as a unit. Um, and like we're, gosh, coming up on five years in January, and like we're doing all right. We got areas that we want to improve on. Um, but like overall, man, like we're, we're a team and that's not going to change. So I, I hope, and yeah, I hope that's a very progressive, like it's going to, it's going to be up and down, but like 10 years on, 15 years on, we're like, all right, what do we, we grew here. We, we really screwed up here. Um, having the ability to kind of laugh at ourselves is, is good too. We don't take ourselves too, too seriously. Um, but yeah. And then like, Having common goals and common things to, to pray for and pursue has been really, really good. Like right now, it's, it's alignment. And in previous seasons, it was other things. Um, but yeah, she's she's great. But dude, you said like coming back from the road. Like I had two guys last night ask for photos. Like I was in the stadium for 30 seconds. You're like, oh, you're the guy from Sports Under Snapchat. You're the guy from this. Like, yeah, selfie, cool. And like, bro, literally came home and like, you didn't take the trash to the, to the end of the road. Our trash day, it's Tuesday. Our trash day was Monday night. And I was like, that was like that was the exact situation that happened. I'm like, I'm about to go talk to Kelly downstairs. Give me five minutes, man. But no, I said I was going to do it and didn't do it. That's on me. So, so help me with the specific, Phil. I'm going to give you a specific. You have to give me a specific, okay? So I, I, I and we want to be specific on when we screwed up with our wife, right? So I screwed up the other day. I, I thought that I had done the right thing. So I did the dishes. My wife thinks it's the sexiest thing when I do the dishes. And so I did the dishes and I do the dishes. Like I, I'd be looking at her, throwing the booty out and everything, you know, while I'm doing the dishes, like you think I'm even sexier. And she, she, I do those. And then I did the laundry, but I did the thing that most guys do where I did the laundry and I'm, I got my system, right? I put it in the washer. I put it into the dryer. Then I throw it into the basket and then I'll take the basket down, but kind of on my time. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, this day I forgot to remove the washer and put it into the dryer so it sat for like two days. And mm -hmm. in two days, you know, it gets kind of stank. Like, you know, yeah. it gets that moldy smell. Well, my wife goes up after two days and she's like, 
who did the laundry? And at first I was about to say, lady, I've been doing all the laundry. You ain't doing nothing. And I realized that I had done the laundry, but I didn't. I left it stanky in the, in the washing machine. And then she just, she just went at our family. She was like, look, you know, you guys are doing this and you guys. And at first I was like, look, I did the dishes. I was putting my booty out the other day showing you I'm sexy. <laughs> but <laughs> she called me on it and I was like, I had no rebuttal, nothing. I couldn't be, I, I was, I was trying to find a lie. I was trying to find some way to get out of it and excuse myself away. And I was like, and I realized, and God convicted me right then. And he was like, no, you did it, bro. And say you did it. And, and then apologize. And I did. And I was like, and then she he got even madder. And I was like, my bad. I was horrible. It was bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, I won't do that again. And I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work hard. I'll probably do it again. But I, I promise I'll work hard at it. Give us a specific when you <laughs> did wrong, but then you, you in your mind. I'm not saying, because Phil is perfect. We know this. We've already established this. But give us a time where you, in your mind, you were like, I'm going to find some justification for this. Give us a specific on when you screwed up. Absolutely. And Kelly, so I'll give, give you a heads up. I just got the 10% on my phone, so I'm going to, I'm going to, um, we got a few minutes, but um, yep. I don't want to have it cut off mid-thought. But um, yeah, so my, I, I work, uh, my wife stays at home, um, but usually my mornings with my daughter are Friday and, and Saturday mornings. And uh yeah, I mean, like, uh, it's it's a different experience. Like, I, my, my wife jokes that she sleeps in, my daughter does, on, uh, she's two and a half. So my, my wife jokes that, like, Friday, Saturday morning, she's going to sleep until, like, eight. And, um, they're, it, but I joke, like, it's because, like, daddy doesn't quite play the games the same way. I try. I try really hard. Um, but my wife, you know, when, when it's breakfast for her, she's, like, got eggs and all these different things going. And I'm, like, yogurt pouch and cheese stick, what do you think? Like, we're in. And just my daughter gives me, she's two and a half. She gives me the side eye. Um, we do have a lot of fun, but like, yeah, there definitely been some times when I'm just like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, put on, she has this like little Alexa soundtrack thing that she likes to play and just like buy myself a couple minutes so I can like, you know, check the score of a soccer match or whatever. And um, my wife will come down. I mean, this was, gosh, last week. She's like, hey, what all did she eat? And I was like, uh, you know, yogurt pouch, cheese stick. I found a couple of raspberries and she's like, she's been up for almost three hours. And like my wife made her like, a, a, I can't remember what she like. She heated up like a waffle or something. My daughter's devouring it. I was like, Oh my gosh. I had my kid hungry because I was just like distracted and lacking confidence and just, I'm mostly just unintentional. Um, and I come off a long work week and, you know, didn't put my all into taking care of baby girl. And I think I was like, yeah, it, it, it does feel nice that she sleeps in on my days, but now I'm worried there might be a reason there where she's in her crib. Like, I don't want dad's breakfast. I'm going to sleep as long as I can until mom gets up. So I only have to deal with that joker for an hour and a half, two hours. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, to Phil, tell me this. Uh, what is the Star Wars for you now? Star Wars probably when you started off in your career was to get to the pinnacle. You're at the pinnacle. I mean, you're, you're at the place. Like, you, you know, a football player wants to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, uh, Anchorman wants to get to ESPN and to SportsCenter. What's the next Star Wars for you? Man. Um, I mean, I just, well, professionally, I would say more of the same. But a few years ago, um, I can't remember who it was where I heard it, but somebody gave me like a really good, like macro way to evaluate goals. And he said, what do you want on your headstone? I was like, oh my gosh, that's morbid. And he's like, oh, but seriously, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know, maybe something like man of God, husband, father. 
And he's like, cool, what are you doing today to accomplish that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Cheese sticks. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right? But I'm like, that's when I'm like, no, the way I'm acting today would be like, you know, best anchor of all time. And like, I want to be great at my craft. I want to, I want to climb the mountain. I want, I'm, I'm on my way up, I think. Um, but you know, they're, gosh, they're, they're, I could, I could list a dozen people who I work with who are way better than me. I want to be more like them professionally, but like when I'm 65, my kids aren't going to care about any of that. They're going to be, where was, how was dad present? How did dad influence us? Um, did my dad start a podcast late? Cause I forgot ice cream money and, and did he run it to school? Like, no, that comes up like seriously, those kind of stuff where he's like, Hey, you don't get ice cream today. Sorry. You're bad. Here's a life lesson. Um, like, no, you want to be a good dad. You want to be somebody who, who reflects the, you know, the creator God who, who loves his wife well, who loves his kids well. What does that look like? And if it means that I need to, you know, cap my income or do a certain thing to get more time off or be very more intentional about time off and doesn't matter how it impacts me professionally, those are the type of things I need to do. So my Star Wars situation is that is, and I say it because like, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a daughter, we want more kids. We'd love to have more kids. Like, that's how I, that's why I vision I'm 35, 30 years from now, out in bonfire, family vacation. Everybody's happy that I'm there. You know, um, people are able to speak fondly of me when I, when they were as, as long as they can remember. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it's not the, the craziest situation, but that's, that's what I want, man. I don't necessarily, I don't, I, 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 listen, if I'm, if I'm doing the Olympics, if I'm calling the Super Bowl, if I'm, if I'm the best sports center anchor that ever, will, ever was, awesome. But that has to be in addition to my family and my, my kids um, respecting me as a, as a, and appreciating me as a husband and a father first. Phil, I think every single person that's listening to the podcast and that's out there, and we want to thank you all, understands why I have you on the show. Because we do not have people on the show that do great things. We have great people who happen to do great things. And you are right in line there, man. You are an absolute genius. I started the podcast because of my kids, and uh, McKenna and Maddox. And uh, Maddox is 11 years old. McKenna is 13 years old. Maddox is a little sports player, uh, amazing quarterback. This kid is gangster as can be, but he's got his own style. And then uh, McKenna, she's in the performing arts. She's got a heart of gold. Uh, she's the one that I took the uh, money for, for Kona Ice out there. And um, I started the podcast for them because I wanted to take iconic people like yourself. And I wanted to show my kids that there's no idols in life. There's only icons that have great attitudes and great work ethic. And if you have those two things, you can do anything uh, that you are purposed to do. And you have showed that today. What advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both of their names, Phil, it would be awesome. Absolutely. Uh, Maddox and McKenna, I would say um, there's a proverb, he who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer much harm. And that's, that's absolutely in your friend circles. Um, but what I found more recently, and it took me until I was in my early 30s to do this, was that social media and these kinds of things make so many perspectives more accessible. That can be an asset, that can be a detriment. Be very, very mindful of um, the company you keep socially. That's why I started following your dad on social media, because I thought he was somebody who brought a lot of positivity, passion, mission, and purpose. Uh, he, he, knew, he knows what his are there, and he made it very clear, and those are things that I want my, my life and my walk to be more like, very outwardly, of my, outwardly loving of my wife and outwardly loving of my kids. Um, so I would say be very mindful of 
when when you where you surround yourself with in this world where so much is accessible, walk with the wise and become wise. Phil, you have been absolutely phenomenal, man. I mean, it has been incredible. I want to I want to have you on more because I got like 70,000 yeah. more questions for you. Um, but more than that, I just want to spend time because that mashak You've heard that word. My, my buddy Tim Story uses it a lot. It, it means to rub off. And when, you, when you're around people, then things rub off. And I, I just I want to be better like Phil. Like, Phil, Phil you're, you're a gangster, man. And uh, I, I really, really appreciate you being on the show. If you're out there listening, check out the sponsors. You know what to do. You can do all the things that you know. Click the links. Do all the things. Um, and I want to thank you again for helping us to be in the top 1% globally of all podcasts. Um, it's because of you. It's not because of paid advertisements. It's because every single one of you has been sharing the other thing that I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to share this because Phil is an absolutely phenomenal human being. But also there's one other thing I'm going to ask you to do. Just push the subscribe button when you go on YouTube because my son, it's not because I need the subscribers. It's because my son is 11 and he watches YouTube and he asks me every day, Daddy, how many subs do you have? At first I didn't know what he was talking about, but now I do. So mash that button for me so my son Maddox will think I'm cool. Phil, you have been absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. And you are officially off the hot seat.